And just a reminder to everybody, September 23rd to 25th is the Las Vegas Stamp Show here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada at the Orleans Hotel. And uh, everybody here will be there uh, buying and selling and trading and everything else. Signing autographs? Yeah, signing <laughs> autographs. <laughs> I actually signed an autograph once for a person. So uh, if you want a worthless autograph, come on by and uh, <laughs> ask us. Uh, we'll, we'll give you autographs. Thank you very much. Did I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry. We haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you gotta buy. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today Gecko Rescue, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. This is episode number 319, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. And uh, today we're giving a shout-out to old engineer Tom, who... Actually, is just right on the other side of that door from us. Um, he did a gecko rescue. His wife found a gecko in her garden, and it was emaciated. And it, it's been pretty hot here in Nevada, so uh, the gecko didn't uh, look too good. So they took it, put it in a little cage, and are feeding it and nursing it back to health. And so one of the things we learned today is that roaches have a higher protein content than crickets. So if you are going to rescue a gecko, remember roaches are superior to crickets. Hmm. So I don't think geckos are native to this land. No, so, they are not. So I'm wondering if this is a household pet that escaped. They, they said it's a house gecko. And so, yeah, it's probably an escaped or something. They said it's an invasive species, actually, down here. Hmm. So uh, if they nurse it back to health, it's either going to be their pet or they're sell going to sell it to a uh, pet shop. Right. Because they don't want to, obviously, release it into the wild since it's not supposed to be there. Right, because if they give it to a park ranger, they'll just drown it. Yeah. I would have to say that even if roaches have more protein than crickets, I'd feel better if crickets escaped than if roaches escaped in my house. Yeah, crickets are cuter too. Oh, I hate crickets. Uh, you would you wouldn't say that when they're rubbing their legs together. That's all I'm going to say. I've 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 chased crickets down just because the noise just oh, keeps me awake until me I kill also, them. Me also. Me also. And uh, two years ago, we had the cicadas here in southern Nevada, 
and they were noisy, noisy, noisy little critters out there doing their little sex parties, their orgies. And by the way, all of those insects can be found on stamps. Yes. Cicadas are uncommonly ugly, though. Yeah, but they actually taste good. Okay. I'm, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so when, they, when they come out in the East Coast, lots of times kids, kids eat them. They originally eat them as a dare, but then they find out they actually taste pretty good. Well, I heard that you eat them, but you pull the back legs off. You pop their heads off and you pull the back legs off because the back legs are like really spiny. Gives you some crunch. <laughs> I think you're thinking of crawfish, not <laughs> cicadas there. Oh, no, crawfish I have no problem with. <laughs> remember in my remember in my culture we eat everything with the shells on. Eh. And which culture is that the yeah. we eat everything culture? Yes, that's the <laughs> we eat everything culture. <laughs> why do you why do you think all those why do you think all those viruses have come from China? It's because they have they have the largest uh, the number of food animals that they harvest is the largest in the world. Mm-hmm. I saw the documentary called Soylent Green, and uh, they talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Shall we talk about stamps today? Yep. Let's get away from nonfiction and go right into stamps. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I have a story today. Um, PSE uh, has a expert named Lotar. Shout out to Lotar. He is, in the United States, probably the number one German stamp collector. I thought you were going to say, he's in the United States illegally. (laughs) (laughs) Snuck across the border. A funny funny story is um, he uh, had an uncle. I believe it was his uncle. And I know I've told everybody, but it's a great story. And uh, he lost his leg in World War II fighting for the Germans. Okay, so that's the background. So he's at a um, gas station. And uh, he's pumping gas. And the person next to him says... Oh, how'd you lose your leg? And he said, I lost it in the war. And he goes, oh, well, thank you for your service. And he goes, you're welcome. We lost anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but he could have thought it meant the Vietnam War. (laughs) So uh, anyway, he is um, the German expert that I know of. And there are quite a few great German experts, but he, I think, is the number one in this country used by us, used by APS, you know. Anyway, so uh, PSE gave him a group of 20 stamps to expertise, and he put his opinions on them and sent them back. And then we got another group of like 10 from another person and took them to him. And he goes, you know, I've had an epiphany. Can you please bring that other order back? I want to take a second look at it. And we go, not a problem, sure. So he brought it back to him. And he shared to us that when he was expertizing, he was trusting that people are overall honest. And so these stamps had prior expertizing. They had prior expertizing marks on the back. So they had already been expertized by really big German expert firms. He got them back and he goes, yeah, I wanted to get them back because I wanted to double check them. Every single one that was priorly expertized by German experts, he overturned. He said they're fake, they're fake, 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 fake. Every single one, 20 items in the order, all of them were fake. 
And what it was is in Germany, when they expertize stamps, they will put an expertizing mark on the back of it. In the United States, we did this for a while, but mostly we use paper certificates. So they put a little expertizing mark on the back. Well, this person who submitted them got stamps that were expertized and then put fake overprints on them. Or double, if it already had an overprint, they put a second fake double overprint on them. So they were previously expertized, previously found to be genuine, and then the person took these stamps and added a faking to it that you couldn't detect because it had prior been expertized. And I thought that was really interesting and something to share because I kind of didn't think about that before. If you get an expertized stamp and all it is is it's backmarked, you know, you can't pull it up on the internet and say, oh yeah, that, that stamp didn't have an overprint when it was expertized. Um, that's kind of a thing that people have to worry about or look at. And uh, in the United States, I guess, you know, we don't go by back stamps very much. We go by paper certs with pictures on. Yeah, with the photos, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but we've had we've had problems with even per paper certificates. There was a famous case that there was a famous case with the New York Expertising Group where um, somebody was somebody actually had changed opinions, and people went people actually people actually. There were several people that actually went to jail for this. Yeah, and they had to make restitution of um, over over uh, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for that. Oh, I didn't know that restitution was made. But yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, you have a story about a uh, ex uh, stamp that had a certificate, a paper cert. Well, we had uh, we had a um, we had a stamp that that uh, came into us that I looked at today that was uh, a St. Louis bear. And uh, it had a uh, 2021 certificate from another expertizing group. Why don't you tell people what the St. Louis bear is? Well, the St. Louis bear is one of those stamps that were issued before regular stamps were issued in 1847. And they were, they were just good for postage within St. Louis and surrounding areas. And they actually have the uh, the city, the city logo is actually has has bears in it, and so they had they, uh, the stamps actually have there's a five cent and a ten cent, and printed on different types of paper, and also a twenty cent, and uh, so the original printing is done on like greenish paper, but this one was a ten center on grayish gray, grayish lilac paper, and uh, even with the brand new certificate, uh, when I took it at when I took it and looked at it through the card and put a bright light to it, I could see that the right-hand bear had been repaired in the uh, in the left leg. And uh, when you put it in the VSC scanner you, and turn it over, you could clearly see that it had been repaired and that uh, four, four of the shading dots had been drawn in. Yeah. So that's a good example. Now, no expert committee is perfect. So that's the first thing you have to say. And an expert opinion is exactly that. It's only an opinion. But that's why that's why everybody who collects expensive stamps should know something about what they're buying and have some idea of what they're looking at. Um, the nice thing about having a paper certificate is it gives you gives you confidence in the item once you've purchased it, especially if you spent probably what this person spent, which was over ten thousand dollars. Was the repair to the bear done by a veterinarian? 
<laughs> it's done by a paper expert. That's all I can say because the uh, because the uh, they it, it was the it was the kind of it was the kind of repair that if you weren't looking if you were looking from the back of the stamp you might have missed it. But I was looking. But whenever I look at something first, I'm looking at the front of the stamp thoroughly before I ever reach the back of the stamp. And you might and it. it did not show up so well in fluid, but it did show up very well under um, in the black light at uh, 665 angstroms. Hmm. Well, we had, uh, and this is a story off of Facebook, because I go on Facebook quite often, and uh, shout out to the Virtual Stamp Club. If you go on Facebook, join that club. Facebook is a sewer of crap, but the Virtual Stamp Club is a shining little beacon in that sewer. So, uh, are you saying that that's a reason to join Facebook? Being, uh, being being that I don't belong. Actually, if you joined Facebook just for joining the Virtual Stamp Club, I kind of say that's a good selling point. If you want to go on there and hear about how Trump and Biden are. Uh, some sort of demons delivered down to us from uh, on high, then, uh, you know, have a nice day. Like I said, I try to stay away from those arguments because I think, it, first of all, I don't trust any politician, but uh, come on, guys. Anyway, so on uh, Virtual Stem Club, there was a person who, congratulations to you, he got a one-cent Pan-American invert. That's the green stamp with the ship where the ship in the middle is upside down scott 294a and it had a certificate but it was a quite old certificate i think it was from well i guess quite old is uh, a relative term it was from the 1990s so uh you know that's quite old for my 13 year old kid but for me <laughs> not so much anyway so uh, it had a cert from a good expertizing company, and uh, the con the conversation came up that you know to get it recertified and stuff like that. And uh, they said, "Oh, you already have a cert. There's no reason to get another one." And then it, it, this is long before I joined this thread and joined this conversation. Um, the person, another person, had posted a post that we had discussed here on the show about the two-cent Pan American, where it had a good cert. But we found when we put it in today's technology, not 1980 technology, but today's technology, we found that somebody had, it wasn't that they removed the train and put the train back in, they removed the outside border and printed another border on top of it. And so when we put it in the VSC, all of a sudden it didn't match what a normal one should look like. And actually, when we put it in the VSC, the red literally disappeared because it wasn't printed in the correct type of ink. And so people were, you know, ah, oh, you don't need a new sir, you already have one. And uh, I came on and I said, hey, you know, we're going to give you a really, really good deal because you're getting some bad information here. In my opinion, if it's got a 1987 cert or a 1997 cert, I forget which one it was, that's kind of a warning sign. 
Because <laughs> uh, stamp that, you know, sells for, I think he made somewhere in the eight to $10,000 range. A stamp in the eight to $10,000 range that is sold today, generally speaking, if it doesn't have a cert, a lot of times that means is it got a cert, the cert was bad, and the person threw the cert away. So it's kind of a warning sign. Uh, I remember a $4 Colombian that had a cert that said Mint Never Hinged from like 1980. And you turn it over, and it looks never hinged, but it's clearly hinged over a thin. There's a big, huge thin in it that has gum over the top of it. No expertizer would ever miss this. And you go, yeah, it was mint never hinged. Somebody accidentally stuck it to something. They pulled it off, thinned the stamp, and then put gum over the top of it. So if you're, you know, you kind of want to get your certs updated, if you have a really old one, that should be a really big red flag if it's a really expensive stamp. Sometimes, though, it's, uh, I've, I've, got, I've got two comments to make. Sometimes... So, Philatelic Foundation certificates before, let's say, 1988 or 89, they just said it was genuine. They didn't comment on the hinging or not hinging. And so, uh, there's a lot of stamps that are out there that were sold as never hinged with good certificates, but um, it wasn't until they decided later on to, in to include whether it was never hinged or not. And uh, we, we at PSC have always commented on whether something's never hinged or not. but uh, but a certain stamp from let's say 1980 it may be absolutely genuine but as far as the gum it's you don't know whether it's anything more than just original gum correct me if i'm wrong because you know more about the pf than i do because you work there um it started in about the 1970s and went to the about the middle of the 80s where they stopped calling things mint never hinged no, they 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 basically stopped. They st they really never commented on never hinged from from the time Louise Boyd Dale was the chairman of the of the Philatelic Foundation. That's 1966, and um, they did not they just did not comment on anything more than original gum. They did, would not make a comment on never hinged until um, it was first discussed in the middle 80s, and then it finally came in like in like 88. I wonder why that. Why did that occur? Why didn't Why didn't they give a never hinged call? Because uh, it was because the level of the level of uh, well, we thought that that's only what people wanted. <laughs> they, that's what they thought at the time. Actually, and, they and, might and, well. And, that might might well be the case. And, and also, and also, what what really happened was. A lot of the younger experts, like myself, basically said, you need to talk about it. And some of the older experts, like when Mr. Block, Herbert Block, was chairman of the expert committee, he said, you absolutely have to say something about this. So between some of the younger people and some of the older people, that's why they changed. But um, um, I'm not saying that older certificates are bad. I'm just saying that you have to, you have to be a little bit more of a student. I'm not saying that old certificates are bad either. I'm saying that today's technology is different from yesterday's technology. And in addition to that, things can happen to pieces of paper over a period of time. And so 
if you have a stamp that is mint never hinged, or let's say it's an old certain, it doesn't say never hinged, but it's mint original gum. And we saw this, how many years ago was Hurricane Sandy? Like 12 years ago or something like that. Um, there was a very famous stamp collector, a dealer collector. And he was in the middle of Hurricane Sandy. And a lot of his stamps got damaged because he couldn't move them all out. And so you have these stamps that were certified and whatever. But they went through Hurricane Sandy and now they're mint no gum or disturbed in other ways. You know, that's a thing that happens with pieces of paper with gum on them. No, I, I own an ex-Haas cover with a pair of number 17s on it that was went through that. And the cover's water stained now and everything else. And I, But I bought it for, for I know that what, what this person paid for it was around $4,000 for the cover. And I think I paid $150 for it. More is, more is just a reference item than anything else. I know that... Uh, I know that I own a block of I, an, an unused corner block of number twenty-five that originally had full original gum, and now looks like it's been used because the gum is entirely stained. Yeah. And I I just don't want to take any chance to make it fall apart by soaking it. I've actually seen a couple of those where the gum, or the paper from the envelope, has discolored the stamp to a point where you know it was a really nice stamp back then, and today it's kind of ugly. And I'm not talking about German stamps where you expect this because the uh, gum has a bunch of tannins in it. This is like U.S. stamps where the paper... Well, we I uh, in the Book of Secrets, number three, we talk about iron gall ink. And you will have covers that have ink from iron gall ink, and gall is... Uh, sort of a fruit nut thing that comes from oak trees and then they mix it. It literally disintegrates the paper underneath it. So you will literally have the ink eat the paper and then disappear. You'll have big holes in it. So items that, you know, over 30 or 40 years, it just continuously deteriorates. And that's the problem with a lot of the five and 10s and 1847 covers. Because a lot of the, the ink, a lot of the inks that were used at the time are iron gall ink in yep. between 1847 and 1850. But one thing that you brought up that 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 this happens a lot with expertizing, um, where you want to, you know, something something um, d d does not go so smoothly in your head, and you go, I want to look at this again. So you'll actually put something aside and then look at it, look at it again. I did that. I did that recently with a submission of about 160 items, all classics. Um, most of them were submitted as unused items. Well, they all had to go under the black light. But then, more than that, in order for me to in order for me to uh, determine what they were, some things had to be plated. Well, there's at least one item that was submitted as a one cent plate three item. I worked on it two and a half hours over this weekend. I got as close as figuring out about five positions and I even the position I, I said it was in the Nikon book Mr. Nikon says position 42L3 with a question mark yeah <laughs> so I said this is the closest thing to it but but since he said it was a question mark I can't say anything more than than a question mark yeah for uh, and again you know the 
these were actually expertized stamps. And, and anything that has to do with overprints. Overprints are very, very difficult things. I mean, I, I literally will look at, um, take for instance the, uh, the, the Tackle Bond Philippine uh, hand stamp overprints. Oh. Those, are, those are things that I... Well, I, hold on, hold on. Describe that real quick. There was, a, there was an issue of stamps. When the U.S. took over, recaptured the Philippines, there was a small group of stamps that were issued out of Tacloban that was, uh, um, then they were hand stamp victory overprints on, on regular Philippine stamps. And it was sort of a, sort of a crescent uh, it was shape. A purple, it was a purple rubber stamp. Yeah, it was a rubber stamp. And it also suffered. It also suffered from what rubber stamps do. It eventually lost a piece out of the T, and then eventually broke in half. So you have different states of the overprint. And I actually will look at an item at least several times before I actually say that I'm happy with it. And I have I have a lot of reference on it. A lot of genuine items. A lot of stuff genuinely used on cover, all certified. And still, I want to compare it with something. It is my opinion, and this is just me, and people don't agree for obvious reasons, but I equate that overprint, because it was done by a hand stamp, and how hard is it to get a hand stamp done? Well, you can photocopy it, send it to Amazon, and they'll send you a hand stamp, you know, three-day delivery, four-day delivery, if you, you know, pay for expedited service. It's really easy to make one of these hand stamps. It is my opinion that it is the same as the RF, the uh, French Navy overprints on the U.S. six cent airmail stamp. Nobody will expertize it unless it's on cover. Yeah, because it's 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 not real. It's not really a true overprint. It's a validation hand stamp compared to compared to um, compared to like Canal Zone one to three, which is the two centavo to ten centavo first issue from nineteen four. That is a rubber stamp, um, and it's so easy to make one. I mean, it, the problem with fakes is that if you can duplicate how it was done originally, you can fake it. That's why U.S. perforations are difficult to fake because it was done on a big press with the wheel rolling over the top of the paper, which leaves some little interesting stuff. If you want to go back and listen to our reperfing, we go into this for a full hour. Um, so it's difficult to duplicate. However, the Australian OS officials was done with just a hand uh, paper punch that came straight down and you can duplicate that paper punch so now the os um australian stamps you can't get them certified nobody will certify them unless they are used on cover and i think that the uh victory is the same thing for those uh philippine stamps if it's on cover you can expertise it if it's an individual stamp go buy yourself a stamp and make a hundred of them have a ball. Well, I don't agree that they're so easy to not to determine. I got I, I'm a direct disciple of Mr. Block in the sense of knowing, understanding what the overprints look like, and what the individual characteristics. I agree. I, I collect. I collect. I I have a large reference too. It is a rubber stamp. If you start with a good rubber stamp. You can duplicate it, and you duplicate it exactly the same way. 
The problem, in my opinion, is getting the color of the ink correct. Also, also some of the other things is getting the shade of the stamp correct. Oh, because yeah, that's those, true. Because those stamps were in, a, were in a safe all through the war. There's no such thing as beautiful mint never hinge gum on any of these. Oh, yeah. They all had they all had interleaving on them, and and, if, and in fact, in fact, the catalog value is for those stamps with interleaving on them, not not with beautiful never hinge gum. When it has beautiful gum, it's basically for sure no good. But because of that, the the colors fade, and the genuine stamps are are basically color affected, and the highest values like the one peso, in all the year, there's like. 21 of them that exist roughly and like there's no there's no such thing as a, sound, a really sound copy there's just one with fewer faults yeah well if all of the ones i'd say over 12 is uh, 12 centavo um they were printed in such small amounts that the sheets if you have a real one you can compare the color of the sheet because it's not like you had a huge range of shades. It was a very, very small printing. They're all the same color. Like with most of the, like with most of like the early Canal Zone stamps, or the one to threes, um, most of the genuine ones have some sort of provenance. Um, a lot of them are signed by very particular people. One of the one of the problems that people don't realize is that because um, if you weren't if you weren't a wheel, if you weren't like um, uh, J.C. Perry, who was a dentist and worked with the medical branch, so he could buy all the stamps he wanted. But if you were the original people who were filling orders for dealers back in Europe, um, they were only allowed to buy 25 cents worth of stamps a day. <laughs> so um, that's how that was. That was one of the reasons why fake overprints were made. Yep. And there are fake overprints that are used with genuine cancels that exist. So that's that's just a a, a problem. Well, we get emails, so some in the answer squad. Um, I'm not going to read, or read the email because it's an ongoing correspondence, but I have a comment to make. People, if you want to find out what a stamp is worth, if you want to find out what a stamp is worth, go to the Scott's Catalog. Look it up in the Scott's catalog. I'll tell you what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't go online and find a stamp that looks like your stamp and then un uh, believe that whatever that stamp is listed for on eBay or Etsy or whatever, that that's the actual value. Uh, this is an ongoing correspondence with this fellow. He showed me just recently a Russian stamp. And the it's a 35 uh, Kopec. There are five different varieties. He thinks he has the $14,000 one. Now, he knows this because he went online and saw that stamp. The problem is, is that $14,000 stamp he saw has an inverted center to it. And it sold for $14,000 at this Eagle sale. His stamp looks like it, except it doesn't have an inverted center, but the rest of it looks perfectly the same. 
you have to be able to identify stamps and you really need to go to the Scott's catalog. Uh, learning how to identify stamps is difficult, but it's like easy difficult. I mean, you check the watermark, stuff like that. There are so many, I get so many texts and pictures and people, please keep sending them. I have no problem with it whatsoever. And they will show, look at the stamp that I have, a two cent Harding. Number uh, 611. Six, six, 610 is the, yeah. the flat press. 610. They'll send me a picture of a 610 and they'll show me a picture on the internet of that stamp being worth $45,000. 613. Yeah. Well, that stamp is worth $45,000. But it's not the stamp you have. It looks the same unless you put it under a perf gauge. Right. And then you see what the differences are. I suggest to everybody, go on eBay and type in one cent Franklin stamp. And you will see it selling for, I don't know, what, $55,000, $57,000 all the way down to its actual catalog value, which is 35 cents. Right. <laughs> Not on eBay, probably on Hipstamp because they, you can you can sell cheaper stamps on Hipstamp. Hipstamp. Uh, that's true. That's true. You wouldn't put a thirty-five cent stamp on eBay. Um, on Etsy, you won't find the thirty-five cent stamps because on Etsy, every single one cent Franklin stamp is worth more than ten thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, so I know that everybody who listens to the podcast knows what I'm talking about. Nobody here is a beginner. If you were a beginner, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. But if you have a chance and you see people sending messages or whatever, forward that along. Say, excuse me, I'm a stamp collector. I don't identify stamps by looking at pictures on the internet. I go to the Scott's catalog. That's true, but look at all this. Look at all the nice photo. Look at all the nice photos you're getting of things that are many. The, the, one of the things that I tell anybody who's starting out is to read the first, the the the, the, the introduction to the Scott catalog. It gives you a whole bunch of information that you don't have to pay for. It gives you, it gives you terms, a definition of terms. It gives you uh, the name of the name of a lot of countries. What how how it looks on the stamps. Um, it talks about how stamps are made, the different types of papers, the cancellations. These are all these are all very good things. If you're a U.S. collector, just read that. Read those read those forty five or fifty pages in the front of the catalog. You will you will be surprised how much more knowledgeable you'll be than the average stamp collector after you've read that and then and then go and talk to somebody go and talk to one of your some of your more advanced stamp collectors or stamp dealers and then add, you'll be able to answer you'll be able to ask more intelligent questions and get more and understand the answers that we give and this is not for the person who has a single stamp or whatever either i mean we see the hey, becca you're on facebook all the time uh you know a person will put up a stamp and they just will say, I don't know anything about stamps. What's this worth? And, you know, we write back and say, you know, it's a very common stamp from 1960 and it's not worth much. The thing is, is when people will argue with you then and say, no, no, no. 
I saw that stamp on the internet and it sold for $70,000. And you point out, yeah, that's not that stamp. Um, be nice to the people, but advise people that you really need to look at the Scott's catalog because the internet, forget about the internet having bad information. The information is probably correct. It's just you don't know how to differentiate that stamp from the stamp you have. Uh, at lunch, I showed everybody a conversation. The person said, I think that this stamp is the rare stamp, not the common one. And you sit there and go, why would you think that? Why would you think that you have the rare stamp when the common stamp is so incredibly common? What would make you think that you have a $14,000 stamp when the common one catalogs for 35 cents, but that's only because the minimum catalog value is 35 cents. Otherwise, it would be less. Well, they might say, because my uncle put this in an envelope and he put it in a book. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because he said, his comment was, this has been a, in a book for many, many, many years. And I wrote back, the length of time that a stamp is in a book does not affect its value. And then he wrote back and said, Yes, but the book was owned by a person who was 90 years old. And I wrote back again and said, you know, the age of the person that owned the stamp is not a determinant of how much the stamp is worth. <laughs> but every once in a while, there, there are fantastic stories of wonderful things found in Bibles and things like that. Yeah. And actually, what I advised him was... Something that people haven't looked at for, well, since 19, uh, 1985, guaranteed. Before 1985, grading didn't exist, really. People wanted really, really nice stamps. But there wasn't a huge market for them in 1985. Today, there is a huge market for graded stamps. So if you actually want to look for something... Don't look for the stamp that looks like it's the $45,000 stamp because you're probably not going to find one. You know, you have a better chance of winning the lottery, a lot better chance of winning the lottery. But going through your stamps and looking for superb stamps, that's something you can do, and that's something that you can find great value with. Now, you're not going to find a $45,000 stamp. But you can easily find, well, I shouldn't say easily, you can find a stamp that catalogs a dollar, which is worth $1,000 because it's in such immaculate, superb condition. That's possible. But, you know, this guy is not doing that. This guy is going on the Internet. Have you been contacted by somebody that, say, saw the chicken stamp, the three-cent commemorative uh, graded a hundred that sold for you know 150 bucks on eBay, and say I have that chicken stamp. Is mine worth 150 dollars? You know the surprising thing is I never get that. I never get is my stamp a grade 100. Nobody ever does that. It's always this is my stamp. Is it worth 45 thousand dollars? It's like no, it's not that stamp. 
And, uh, you know, I've seen people who go through, well, what was the name of that Russian? Oh, I forget the name of the Russian company where you would send them a scan, a picture of a stamp and they would send you back all the varieties that it could be. And obviously the one that they always list is the one that's really, really super expensive. They were out of uh, southern Russia, um, like Tajikistan or something like that. Yeah, I think you told me about that company, but I, I never knew the name. Oh, okay. Anyway, there's a company out there that will identify your stamps for you, and they always identify it as the really, really <laughs> high-value one. And it's surprising because even stamps, that there are no varieties. This stamp is a $0.35 cent stamp in every single condition, every single per variety, whatever. And somehow they still come up with a variety that's worth a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. Like the company was a name of the Russian word for dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, if you can dream it, we can collect it. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from not landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this silkom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.